kids can make the most hardened person smile. And in the Capitol in Topeka, there's a lot of debate about policy and funding aimed at Kansas children. Influencers in this process include Kansas Action for Children, a nonprofit that works to improve the health, education, and welfare of the state's vulnerable youth. With us to discuss child-centric action during the just-completed 22 legislative session is Jessica Herrera-Russell and Adrian Olnick of Kansas Action for Children. Welcome to you both. Thanks for taking time. All right, so first, let's give some people some context about the status of children. Uh, Adrian, do you want to throw out uh, some statistical red meat for us so we can understand what's going on? I'd be happy to. Some of the areas we really look for how kids are doing relate to childcare, health, and food security. So with the pandemic, the child care crisis in Kansas has only worsened. More than 86,000 Kansas kids under six are without licensed child care. And these kids are in households where both or the sole parent are working full time. Not to mention even the cost of child care when you can find it. Families in Kansas spend a median rate of 17% of their income on infant care. Now let's turn to health. In 2019, 43,000 Kansas kids were uninsured. Now some of the data over the pandemic has shifted that, but with the public health emergency ending and the kids enrolled in Medicaid and CHIP, it's a real unknown um, of how many kids are going to continue to be uninsured or lose their insurance possibly later this year. And then food. We have all gone to the grocery store every week and we've seen the empty shelves, the increase in prices. And for families who are struggling to make ends meet, that's only worsened. One in six Kansas kids face food insecurity right now. So these are some of the stats and some of the issues we keep in mind as we do our state house work. I have to say one in six. That's shocking. It is. It's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids who are supposed to be have a full belly so they can go learn at school and what have you, right? Kids rely on school meals. The pandemic has given a lot of latitude to schools to be able to provide free breakfast and free lunch. A lot of summer meal programs are getting kicked off right now, and Mm -hmm. um, those are changing, and not all kids have access to that. So we really care about it. All right. The 2022 legislature just completed their odyssey, their annual odyssey, and it was quite a tug of war between the the Republican-led legislature and Governor Laura Kelly, who's a Democrat. Uh, One of the things that was accomplished was that the legislature, finally, after many years of chewing on it, uh, decided to adopt a bill that's going to lower the statewide uh, food sales tax. And the legislature, instead of doing what Laura Kelly asked, which was just all at once on July 1st, in the 6.5% state sales tax on food, they decided on a gradual reduction which will reduce the fine, we'll say the financial costs of the state of that. So I think the first bite will come in January 1st when maybe it drops down to 4%. But by January of 2025, it's supposed to be gone. Jessica, do you want to help us with understanding what this reform might mean to families and kids? Yeah. So starting, you know, January when the initial cut does start, it will help, you know, with these rising costs due to inflation on groceries and hopefully that money can go back into families pockets to you know stretch their dollars a little bit further um you know help correct that one in six statistics that we mentioned um and lower food insecurity in our state yeah the sales tax is regressive as we know and Mm -hmm. if you're a millionaire i don't think you really care so much about how much a loaf of bread costs but if you're making thirty-five thousand dollars a year you do care 
Yeah. Uh, families who, you know, live on low wages or, you know, middle income wages, they spend a big chunk of their income just on trying to feed their families. Whereas, you know, wealthier families don't have to consider that as much. Mm-hmm. Not, not as foremost in their mind. Adrian, there's other bills, uh, of course, adopted by the legislature. One of them, I think, was an economic development bill, and it featured a provision expanding the employer child care tax credit to all businesses. So I think maybe there was a limitation on what kind of businesses could do that in the past, and now that's going to be expanded to other businesses. So what could that mean for people out there? So this was a credit that had not been changed since 2012. In that year, several credits that KAC cares about were changed um, along with some of the other tax plan changes. So the food sales tax refund, the homestead, property tax credit, and this one, the employer child tax credit, were all amended in 2012 to change their eligibility and some of the other things um, associated with those credits. So we came to the legislature with this particular credit knowing that the full eligibility for different types of businesses needed to be restored. So for the last 10 years, only C corporations and financial institutions were eligible for this credit, and we wanted to extend that to all businesses. So that's one of the successes for us this session, is we were able to get that bill passed. So what it means for businesses and thereby families is that all businesses are now eligible, as I mentioned, but what it allows them to do, if a business can support their employees by either providing on-site childcare um, some businesses here in Kansas do that. It could also subsidize the cost of child care for their employees so they can make some level of contribution to make it more affordable, or they could help their families find child care, often through going with a child resource and referral agency, which of which there are several. So now it allows businesses to apply that to their Kansas tax liability in the form of a tax credit. And there are certain amounts and certain time frames within that, but we really hope that businesses will take this credit up and as I mentioned earlier, childcare is really difficult to find. So if businesses can support their workers, they're going to have more reliable workers at the end of the day. Yeah, excellent. All right, Jessica, Adrian, you both kind of, kind of dive into this one. I know there was some legislation passed regarding postpartum depression, and there's a federal program that was broadened, uh, and so states had to uh, accept this broadening, but there's additional funding to expand the postpartum assistance for, for moms that are struggling uh, by quite a bit, right? Right. So right now, if a mother qualifies for the pregnancy coverage option under Medicaid, she only has uh, insurance 60 days after giving birth. Mm-hmm. That is the current situation. She'll lose her coverage. So what this policy provision was hoping to do is to extend that postpartum coverage for a new mom on Medicaid to a full 12 months postpartum. That matches her up to her infant as well, who also has a 12-month guarantee. So what we needed to do was get a budget provision passed that funded the extension of this postpartum from 60 days to 12 months. And that's full health care, which certainly does help moms who are struggling from postpartum depression, who have other physical challenges after giving birth that often show up beyond that 60 days after giving birth. So we were able to, and that was uh, included in the governor's budget that she presented to the legislature in January, and we were able to advocate and keep it in the budget. And so what now needs to happen is the Medicaid agency needs to apply for a certain state plan amendment um, and get CMS's approval, which we have no doubt all of that will move forward fairly smoothly. Yeah, other states have done this, yeah. Other states, but it's not a guarantee. So Kansas has really led the way in taking up the new federal option that came Mm. through ARPA last year um, by funding this and then 
kind of jumping on the first opportunity because it just became available in April of this year. So Kansas is leading the way in this and something we should be proud of. So Jessica, I'm just going to imagine that uh, I'm a mom. That's Mm -hmm. quite the stretch. But at any rate, (laughs) if you only had two months of coverage, maybe I discover in week five that uh, I'm not just tired. I've got some depression issues and I'm having some negative thoughts about my new baby and I need a, I need, so you go and you try to make an appointment somewhere and they can get you in in a couple of months. So I think the extension of this is going to maybe capture some of the problems that people were, are really encountering. Yeah, definitely. And you know, we know that when mothers are healthy, their babies are healthy or, you know, they're on that right path to getting their healthcare needs met. Um, so this was really important step into doing that. Uh, Jessica, also the, the, in the budget, you're talking about a budget item. Mm-hmm. There must be, you know, broad stroke elements of the state budget that the legislature and the governor uh, agreed to, that actually uh, help help looking forward. So mm-hmm. I know the legislature set lots of money aside. Now maybe that's uh, not being spent right now, but maybe that will be available for future programs, perhaps? Is there a sense of that? Yeah, so, you know, we started out with an estimated $3 billion surplus, which is a significant amount of money, especially for Kansas, who has dealt with uh, budget issues in the past years. Um, and, you know, they the legislature transferred $750 million of that into our rainy day fund, which will help us if there's a downturn or, um, you know, other reasons why we'd need to dip into that money. And that will help us create a good foundation in the future so we don't have to cut vital programs um, if we do need to balance right. the budget. They're, they're riding high on the hog at the moment with mm-hmm. the surplus. And if they uh, devoted that all to X rather than just putting it in a savings account, it might not be available if the economy starts cratering uh, in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. And, through, you know, price inflation, the cost of everything is going up. So... So maybe that bodes well, you know, as you look down the next couple of years on on issues that could affect kids. I think there's a lot of volatility in our economy, in our world right now. And this, I really have to give credit to the legislature for setting us up for a prosperous next few years, given all the uncertainty. They did a really good job with this year's budget. They could have gone a lot of different directions. We're seeing states make very different decisions with their surpluses this year. A lot of significant tax cuts that we've been there and done that. And we know that that can come back to bite you in out, out years. Yeah. So (laughs) what, while we don't have a lot of increased spending to point to, I mean, there are a lot of unmet needs. We know Medicaid waiver services need a boost, which also impact kids and families. We know that childcare, which I talked about, there's a lot of areas the state needs to give further investment in. But what they did this year by paying off debt, by shoring up capers, by putting money into the rainy day fund, we are on solid financial footing to really advocate for those increased investments next year. You know, it might not be right up the KC alley, but uh, there's a housing problem. There's a moderate income housing problem in Kansas and other states. But but maybe there's something, I don't know, the legislature did a little bit in that area, but maybe there's more to be done with that kind of money, help families. All right, Adrian, if you could continue. Um, Governor Kelly vetoes, she's, she likes that veto pen. Uh, it's got a lot of ink in it and she's used it. Uh, but one of, the, one of the bills she vetoed um, would have allowed public health official, excuse me, prohibited public health officials 
from ordering, we'll say, mask mandates in an infectious disease outbreaks. And I, I don't know if there are ramifications for kids unless kids just uh, uh, get tuberculosis and it all works out well for them. Yeah, let's hope not. You know, the science of vaccinations and medical technology has come a long way. And unfortunately, in the pandemic, we've seen some of that go backwards in our cultural response. And we've seen that in the legislature. We've seen a lot of bills that have attacked the public health infrastructure, whether it's local health departments or folks trying to keep their community safe. And it's certainly on protective things like masks, but more of concern to us is really the attack on childhood immunizations. Mm -hmm. We saw over 30 bills this session that would have affected childhood immunizations. In Kansas? In Kansas. So fortunately, I can sit here today after Sine die now and the session is over and I don't feel like I'm going to jinx anything, but none of those passed. We have maintained the childhood immunization process that is working, that is based on science, is based on national experts who know which vaccinations to approve for children to attend childcare and K through 12 education. Mm -hmm. And we have maintained that. This is gonna be an ongoing area for us for years to come though. Uh, once again, we're seeing measles on the rise. We're getting to the point where we may not have enough people vaccinated in this state to prevent measles outbreaks. You mentioned the TB issue going on over in the Kansas City area. So this is why these are important, is that we protect public health, we protect ch- children from diseases that are preventable. And you may not put it exactly this way, but I've thought about legislators saying, I'm a patriot uh, and I'm going to stiff arm uh, the mandates on masks or mask gatherings or vaccinations and the, and the like. But if you're a spreader of deadly disease because you just don't want to get a shot I'm sort of wondering about the patriotism of that. Is that part, is that something the greatest generation would have done? You know, I wonder. I, I'm a Rotarian and one of our biggest areas of work in Rotary is to stop polio across the world. Uh That has been something that we've been able to almost eradicate. We saw that come back in several countries recently, unfortunately, but it's all about the common good, I think, and what can we do and sacrifice some of our self-interest at times to be a good human being to those who live in our communities. You know, I was caring for my elderly father early in the pandemic, and there was no vaccine. And I was just mortified as I went to take care of him about 100 days a year that I would get COVID in the state house, and I would be okay but then I'd go give it to him and kill him. And I would have taken a vaccine in the eyeball to prevent that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I struggle a little bit with people's arguments about why they don't want to participate in these kind of public health uh, collective uh, approaches. Well, it's been said, freedom comes with responsibility. We mm-hmm. all need to remember that. Mm-hmm. Jessica, there's uh, another bill that uh, kicked around the state house. This was, uh, I think the governor vetoed this too. And uh, it would have required... Uh, Uh, somebody to uh, an adult without dependents to work 30 hours a week in order to qualify for the federal food stamp program. And they're trying to encourage people to not to sit on the couch and get the free food and get to work. And I sort of get that. But I'm kind of wondering about not every family is structured the same. And so you could have a single adult without dependents, perhaps a grandmother who's taking care of kids 
grandkids on an informal or inconsistent basis. Those kids might need food, that grandmother might need food, but she doesn't work 30 hours a week. So do we think when we make some of these policies, uh, there, there's unintended consequences that aren't fully vetted? Certainly. I mean, you know, of course, we'd like it to only, you know, the legislature would like it to only apply to what is defined, but we know that's not the case. That's not reality. There are kids aging out of the foster care system that, you know, when they're 18, they would have to be under these restrictions if they don't work 30 hours a week. Um, like you said, grandparents uh, who have informal, you know, custody agreements or anything like that, um, mm -hmm. they're trying to make their food dollars stretch to feed more mouths than just their own. Yeah. I just think sometimes something that sounds good on paper uh, when when you're waving your arms about some lazy guy who doesn't want to go to work, that's not the full picture. That's not reality. I remember one year where they said when it was public cash assistance, they passed a bill that you could only take out $25 at a time or something. So what they didn't realize is that people didn't have checking accounts. So they would have to go to the bank and take $25 out and then come back to the bank tomorrow and get another 20 so they could go pay rent. So eventually, at some time, they got enough money to go pay rent, but they're paying a bus fare and whatever to drive across town to a bank. Anyway, so sometimes unintended consequences. Another bill that Laura Kelly pushed back against, and I think the, the legislature overrode her veto, it was about uh, how the Republicans and legislature didn't want Laura Kelly and her Democrat friends uh, tinkering with the CanCare or Medicaid contracts. These are like $4 billion a year with three uh, private companies that, that do the work of handling the Kansas Medicaid program. And so she won't be able to mess around with that unless she's reelected a governor, which I think is the intent to try to let that be in Republican hands. Um, but I'm kind of worried about uh, CanCare as it relates to kids. Adrian, do we, do we know enough about how these CanCare companies are looking after children within the system? We don't. We could learn a lot more about data, about how kids are doing who are under can care. And that's one of the areas we hope to improve in the next round of the contracts and the RFP process in particular. We've already been working on it with other advocates to learn more about how children are doing, the kind of services they're getting, and the quality of those services as well. There will be new guidelines coming um, or being implemented in the next few years that require us to know more about how kids' services are going in Medicaid uh, contracts. So The federal government is going to mandate that more is known. There, there are some particular things about the level of services and the quality and the data surrounding those hmm, that's coming. Good. So that that's a positive, but we're getting impatient to find that because it matters for the kids in the system right now who are getting Medicaid and CHIP services. So with the MCO bill that came up this session, there were the way that it began, there were some troubling areas that would have prevented some of the actions that would need to be taken yet this year. Fortunately, some of the worst parts of that bill were taken out. So what ultimately passed and was vetoed and then overridden this last Monday is not the worst version of that mm -hmm. bill. So all it does is delay the start of being able to have the RFP go out live to renew those MCO contracts. To 2023, presumptively. Correct, correct. Yeah. All right, Adrian and Jessica, now's the part of our show uh, where you can wave your magic wand and uh, tell us what you would like to see if uh, Kansas Action for Children was just in charge of everything for the next 10 minutes. So uh, 
Adrian, why don't you go first and tell us about things that you wish Kansas would do on behalf of kids and their families. Wow, a magic <laughs> wand. Okay, I'm going to make good use of that. I've already wasted 20 seconds. So where I started, you know, I talked about how enough child care options are not out there for kids and families. We have too many uninsured kids. We have too many kids that are going hungry. So I would love for the legislature to come back in January 2023 and grapple with that. I would like them to have the conversations that they have ignored for the last several years and really think about how are kids in Kansas doing. Spend some committee time on that. You know, have some conversations with your constituents. Talk to the organizations who are there in the state house representing kids, and not just us, the people who actually have direct service to the families in our state. There are a lot of unmet needs that legislators can help with. We're sitting on that budget surplus, and I know they want to be cautious and somewhat frugal, but they rush to make tax cuts all the time, and yet they don't rush to invest in kids. So if I had a magic wand, I would really have them consider what their role is to our next generation. All right, Jessica, you're up. (laughs) Well, you know, Kansas Action for Children's motto or our mission statement is we want Kansas to be a place where every child has the opportunity to grow up healthy and thrive. And uh, we really think about the thriving part, but we, you know, right now, Families are surviving, not necessarily thriving. You know, we're, we want kids to be able to, um, you know, have an education, health care, uh, have parents have re- reliable child care, um, be able to put food on their table. And that's the bare minimum. And unfortunately, a lot of our policies are just about, you know, trying to get or, you know, the base minimum of having kids thrive and their families or survive not thrive and mm-hmm. that's something we really need to correct well it's an ongoing it's a it's a moving target for sure mm-hmm. all of this all right excellent so i want to thank our guests today on the reflector podcast from kansas action for children jessica herrera russell and adrian olnick thank you very much for being here thanks for your time thanks, thanks. For